0: Hey, thanks for coming back again. We are episode number four, I think. We're actually chapter four of Agatha Christie's The Secret of Chimneys. I'm your reader, Mr. Tyner. And if I haven't said already, this is Man Reads Woman, the show where I read to you the work of a woman. Like I said, we're on chapter four. Um, we kind of had a new character, two new characters last chapter. Basically, we have a, kind of a weird guy named George Lomox kind of a little puppet mastery kind of action. And then we have a Lord, Lord, uh, let's see, remember his name, Carterum. He's kind of just like, eh, whatever, take care of whatever. Meh, I don't really want to do this. Meh. So it sounds like um, our George character is kind of up to something a little bit. So uh, yeah, without further ado, let's just jump in. Chapter four of The Secret of Chimneys by Agatha Christie, introducing a very charming lady. George Lomox returned straight away to Whitewall. As he entered the apartment in which he transacted affairs of the state, there was a scuffling sound. Mr. Bill Eversley was assiduously filling letters, filing letters, excuse me, but a large armchair near the window was still warm from contact with the human form. A very likable young man, Bill Eversley. Age at a guess, 25. Big and rather ungainly in his movements. A pleasantly ugly face, a splendid set of white teeth, and a pair of honest brown eyes. Richardson sent up that report yet? No, sir. Shall I get on to him about it? It doesn't matter. Any telephone messages? Miss Oscar is dealing with most of them, Mr. Isaacstein. Wanted to know if you could do lunch with him at the Savoy tomorrow? Tell Miss Oscar to look in my engagement book. If not engaged, she can ring up and accept. Yes, sir. By the way, Eversley, you might ring up a number for me now. Look it up in the book. Mrs. Revell, 487 Pont Street. Yes, sir. Bill seized the telephone book, ran an unseeing eye down a column of M's, shut the book with a bang, and moved to the instrument on the desk. With his hand upon it, he paused, as though in sudden recollection. Oh, I say, sir, I've just remembered. Her line's out of order. Mrs. Ravel's, I mean. I was trying to ring her up just now. George Lamox frowned. Annoying he said. Distinctly annoying, he tapped the table undecidedly. If it's anything important, sir, perhaps I might go around there in a taxi. She is sure to be there at this time in the morning. George Lomox hesitated, pondering the matter. Bill waited expectantly, poised for instant flight, should the reply be favorable. Perhaps that would be the best plan, said Lomox at last. Very well, then. Take a taxi there and ask Mrs. Ravell if she will be at home this afternoon at four o'clock, as I am very anxious to see her about an important matter. Right, sir. Bill seized his hat and departed. Ten minutes later, a taxi deposited him at 487 Pont Street. He rang the bell and executed a loud rat-tat on the knocker. The door was opened by a grave functionary to whom Bill nodded with the ease of a long acquaintance. Morning, Chevaliers Is Mrs. Reveal in? I believe, sir, that she is just going out. Is that you, Bill? Called a voice over the banisters. I thought I'd recognize that muscular knock. Come up and talk to me. Bill looked up at the face that was laughing down on him, and which was always inclined to reduce him, and not him alone. To a state of babbling incoherency. He took the stairs two at a time and clasped Virginia Reeves' outstretched hands tightly in his. Hello, Virginia. Hello, Bill. Charm is a very peculiar thing. Hundreds of young women, some of them more beautiful than Virginia Ravel, might have said, Hello, Bill, with the exact innotation, and yet have produced no effect whatsoever. But those two simple words uttered by Virginia had the most intoxicating effect upon Bill. Virginia Reveal was just 27. She was tall and of exquisite slimness. Indeed, a poem might have been written to her slimness. It was so exquisitely proportioned. Her hair of real bronze, with the greenish tint in its gold. She had a determined little chin a lovely nose slanting blue eyes that showed a gleam of deepest cornflower between the half closed lids and a delicious and quite indescribable mouth that tilted ever so slightly at one corner in what is known as the little signature of Venus. It was a wonderfully expressive face and there was a sort of radiant vitality about her that always challenged attention it would have been quite impossible ever to ignore Virginia Ravel. She drew Bill into the small drawing room, which was all pale manoeuvre and green and yellow, like a surprised something in a meadow, a bird. Bill, darling, said Virginia, isn't the foreign office missing you? I thought they couldn't get on without you. I brought a message for you from Cotter's. Thus irreverently did Bill allude to his chief. And by the way, Virginia, in case he asks, remember that your telephone was out of order this morning, but it hasn't been. I know that, but I said it was. Why enlighten me to this foreign office touch. Bill threw her a reproachful glance so that I could get here and see you of course. Darling, Bill, how dense of me and how perfectly sweet of you. Chauvrier said you were going out. So I was to Sloan Street. There's a place there where they've got a perfectly wonderful new hip band. A hip band. Yes, Bill. H-I-P, hip, B-A-N-D, band. A band to confine the hips. You wear it next to the skin. "'I blush for you, Virginia. "'You shouldn't describe your underwear to a young man "'with whom you're not related. "'It isn't delicate. "'But, Bill, dear, there's nothing indelicate about hips. "'We've all got hips, "'although we poor women are trying awfully hard "'to pretend we haven't. "'This hip band is made of red rubber "'and comes just above the knees, "'and it's simply impossible to walk in.' "'How awful!' said Bill. "'Why do you do it?' "'Oh!' because it gives one such a noble feeling to suffer for one silhouette. But don't let's talk about my hip band. Give me George's message. He wants to know whether you'll be in at four o'clock this afternoon. I shan't. I shall be at Ronalee. Why is this sort of formal call? Is he going to propose to me, do you think? I shouldn't wonder. Because if so... You can tell him that I much prefer men who propose on impulse. Like me? It's not an impulse with you, Bill. It's habit. Virginia, won't you ever... No, 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 Bill. I won't have it in the morning before lunch. Do try and think of me, a nice motherly person approaching middle age, who has your interests thoroughly at heart. Virginia, I do love you so. "'I know, Bill, I know, and I simply love being loved. "'Isn't it wicked and dreadful of me? "'I should like every nice man in the world "'to be in love with me.' "'Most of them are, I expect,' said Bill gloomily. "'But I hope George isn't in love with me. "'I don't think he can be. "'He's so wedded to his career. "'What else did he say?' "'Just that it was very important.' Bill, I'm getting intrigued. The things that George thinks important are so awfully limited. I must, I think I must chuck Ron After all, I could go to Ron any day. Tell George that I should be waiting for him meekly at four o'clock. Bill looked at his wristwatch. It seems hardly worthwhile to go back before lunch. Come out and choose something, Virginia. I'm going out to lunch somewhere on another. That doesn't matter. Make a day of it and chuck everything all around. It would be rather nice, said Virginia, smiling at him. Virginia, you're a darling. Tell me. You do rather like me, don't you? Better than other people? Bill, I adore you. If I had to marry someone, if I simply had to, I mean, if it was in a book and a wicked Mandarin said to me, Marry someone or die by slow torture? I should choose you at once. I should indeed. I should say, give me little Bill. Well then, yes, but I haven't got to marry anyone. I love being a wicked widow. You could do all the same things still go about and all that. You'd hardly notice me about the house. Bill, you don't understand. I'm the kind of person who marries enthusiastically if they marry at all. Bill gave a shallow groan. I shall shoot myself one of these days, I expect, he murmured gloomily. No, you won't, Bill, darling. You'll take a pretty girl out to supper, like you did the night before last. Mr. Eversley was momentarily confused. If you mean Dorothy Kirkpatrick... "'The girl who's in hooks and eyes? "'I, well, dash it all. "'She's a thoroughly nice girl, straight as they make them. "'There was no harm in it. "'Bill, darling, of course there wasn't. "'I love you to enjoy yourself. "'But don't pretend to be dying of a broken heart, that's all.' "'Mr. Eversley recovered his dignity. "'You don't understand me at all, Virginia,' he said severely. "'Men?' Polygamous. I know they are. Sometimes I have a shrewd suspicion that I am polyandrous. If you really love me, Bill, take me out to lunch quickly. Cool. I'm going to pause right there. We're going to start chapter 5 the next time around. Again, thanks for tuning in. It's not really a complicated show, but you spent 12 minutes of me reading a chapter to you, so thank you. I've realized that um, with my with my show, I can only go up to 30 minutes at a time. So some might be longer than others, which is okay. Um, yeah, so this was kind of a shorter episode. So hopefully you're tuning in and you're liking it. I know I'm not a perfect reader and I do make mistakes. But again, instead of going back and forth and re-recording and recording, I figured I'm just going to go for it. So thank you again for listening to my show, Man Reads Woman. We just got done with reading chapter four. Stay tuned for next time where we'll pick up with chapter five. Have a great night.